Hi, Esther. Hi, Holly. What are you doing? I am. I see you shuffling over there. I am shuffling. <laughs> I'm shuffling from Raven's Prophecy deck. She's an author and creator yeah. of the books that we're reviewing today. So I thought it'd be cool awesome. to do a card of the day from this deck and then kind of go through what her stuff is in the book accompanying the deck. And then we can talk about the book. Yeah. Then we can talk about the book, the popular, popular book that people are so excited to hear about. But let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to pull two, three, four, five, six, seven. The card. <laughs> you have to leave in how you count. I think <laughs> that people really need to know how consistently you do that. <laughs> They'll realize what a nutcase I am. <laughs> it's okay. It they is. already know. Our wildlings love you anyway. <laughs> so the card of the day from Raven's Prophecy is the Ace of Wands. And I'm showing Holly the card. Awesome. If I can find my... But it's like a fire, like a campfire that's lit. Ooh, that's pretty mystical looking. Yes, and I did edge these decks because I did not like the edge, so I'll have a picture of this on Instagram. And in her book, let me see if I can find the Ace of Wands really quick. Probably not because it's in all the way in the back. There we go. Okay. <laughs> the key words that she wrote for the Ace of Wands are creativity, energy, passion, and enthusiasm. And a little bit from the book, the Ace of Wands means that sometimes you're not ever going to feel ready. Act now, just jump. If you're a perfectionist, it can be hard to accept that a new idea doesn't arrive fully formed. It's imperfect, underdeveloped, and sometimes ugly, and other times hard to explain to others. If it was anything more, it wouldn't be the ace. The ace isn't for anyone else. It's for you. So that's just like a little oh, snippet. Oh, I really love that. I know. So like, there's like four or five paragraphs for every card. Yeah. Yeah. But also just given the context of like, like... You didn't get a chance to finish reading the book. Yeah. That makes it. There's no way to say that without me sounding accusatory. No, no, no. no. But it's really fine. Oh, no. I've, I've had like jet lag hangover like nothing else. So I am forgiven myself. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know what? Oh, good. You. <laughs> Holly's going to just hard carry this episode, about everyone. You I'm just saying yourself. right now. Just warning you. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. But I do like that instead of it just being like, this is about passionate energy, it's saying like, if you're feeling a lack of that, you just need to yes, go for yes, it. Yes. I love that. Like, you are meant to just move. Yes. I like action y cards like that. Me too. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, she created this deck alongside of the books. Um, the book, the book that we're reading today is the first of a series of four. I'm going to let Esther tell you a little bit more about it. But the cool thing is that the deck of cards that she created to go alongside of it came out kind of like in between all of the books. Yes. And so the book itself, The Raven Cycle, is a series of four contemporary fantasy novels written by Maggie Stiefvater. I hope I'm saying that correctly. The first novel, The Raven Boys, was published by Scholastic in 2012, and the final book, The Raven King, was published in 2016. And a little about the author herself, she's the author of The sh Shiver. There we go. I almost said Shriver, and I was like, this is not an Amish romance. <laughs> the, the former first lady of California, Maria Shriver. <laughs> Why do we have a podcast? Why am I here? Okay, sorry. <laughs> Okay, so she, um, so she is New York Times bestselling author of the Shiver Trilogy, The Raven Cycle, and Scorpio Races. She's an artist, driver of things with wheels, avid reader, 
All of Maggie Stiefvater's life decisions have been formed by a desire to leave a mark, resulting in spray-painted cars, Sharpie-covered computer printers, ink-splattered walls, and stories told in books, in magazines, and on stages. Maggie lives in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, with her charmingly straight-laced husband, two kids, two neurotic dogs, and a 1973 Camaro named Loki. <laughs> I love that. I love that self-description. Love that too. is so great. I like the Camaro. That's a nice Camaro. Uh, yeah. I don't know anything about cars. Oh, I don't a, know why. I, I like. I love with old you. cars. I lo- uh, like old cars, so. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm just a... I drove like a 1987 Volvo as my first car, so I have like very little opinions. <laughs> that was just a full-blown blue box with four wheels. <laughs> but I loved that car. So that is the introduction to the Raven trilogy. Or no, the yeah. Raven Boys. There we go. The Raven Boys. Yeah, so we're doing the Raven Boys, which is, like I said, the first in the trilogy. I think that I will probably finish the trilogy. Yeah. And it's actually more than a trilogy. There's like a couple of other smaller books that are part of it. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And so we can like talk about a little bit of our general impressions because I know that both of us had the same initial reaction of like what is going on why are there so many names that I need to memorize when we first started reading it (laughs) yes because like I have experienced this with Jane Austen books where if there are so many characters and you don't know how they're connected to each other I'm just like who's this new person why doesn't do they matter so for the first yeah like five chapters it was difficult for me because the there was a lot of explanatory stuff and connecting stuff but it wasn't it wasn't very clear. So I finally got to a place in my reading where I'm like, ooh, this storyline's getting good. But of course, I didn't finish it up for today's episode. But <laughs> I want to finish reading it now because I know what's going on. I know what's happened. So I'm like, ooh, this is really good. It just takes that first initial, like, first couple of chapters yeah, to get through. Push. Yeah. Yeah, and I had the same experience where I was, like, taking so many notes about who all these people were <laughs> because it just seems like every couple pages another person was introduced. Yes. And they all seemed really related to each other. So, like, they all end up being fairly connected, I guess, except for, like, in one of the character stories. I'm assuming that he's the focus of a later book. Yeah. But I think that's one of the problems with the first book in any book series is that they're trying to introduce all these ancillary characters so that you care enough to read the future books. Yeah. And so I totally agree with you at the beginning. It was like, what is going on? Once the plot got underway, I could not put it down. And in fact, I finished reading it while we were driving back from the zoo. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, (laughs) okay, thanks for finishing it. Well, now, now I'm pressure on me. All the pressure's on Holly. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was like, let me finish this and like introduce me to true crime obsessed. The other fantastic podcast that you love. People. Holly can do two things at one she can listen to a podcast and laugh at the jokes as well as read a book i <laughs> was so blown away by this woman in my car i was i was i'm like i can barely drive and listen at the same time and she's reading a book and listening and laughing <laughs> well they were really different content i think if it was similar content i wouldn't have been able to do it yeah but it was like one is this sort of like fantasy like young adult thing and then the other one was them joking about the Rajneeshis. yes <laughs> Yes. It's a super totally funny podcast. So if you're into true crime and documentaries, just listen to it. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. So thank you for introducing that to me. But anyway, so yeah, I like I really was really wrapped up in it. So anyway, I was excited about it. And I'm still excited about it. And if you're like just tuning in and you're like, wait, I thought this was a tarot podcast. What are they doing talking about books? We are or if you didn't like the last time we talked (laughs) about books, (laughs) our goal with this is to kind of like look at the way that tarot is used in fiction 
specifically. I think we'll probably end up doing some nonfiction stuff too. Oh yeah. Um, if there are any books that really strike our fancy, but for now kind of tarot and fiction and doing little book reviews of books that utilize tarot as a plot device, um, either well or poorly, Mm -hmm. uh, depending on it. I would say that it's pretty well done here and we'll get to that in a later like portion of this podcast. But the goal is to, cause I really like as a tarot reader and also a lover of fiction, I love having tarot pop up in books that I'm reading if it's done well. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of decided that we thought it would be fun to explore that together. And that's why we're here. Yay! The book opens with a prologue where Blue, who's our arguably the protagonist. <laughs> yeah. There's so many like of them. Like any There's so many focused. characters. <laughs> yeah. So actually that it brings up a really good point. There will be some people whose names you hear in the beginning that I will probably not mention because they're either less involved or whatever as we go through. And then the other thing is that I'm not withholding spoilers. So if we all have friends who can't handle spoilers, my friend Mara like will refuse to watch something if she's already listened to something about it. Like if you cannot handle spoilers, this might not be for you. I personally don't mind spoilers at all. And I will happily read something if I know what happens because I want to see how they get to that point. Yes. We're not going to hold back or worry too much about spoilers. So just be prepared. Um, There's like a couple of content warnings of physical violence between brothers. And also later I can give more of a heads up then, but it's like, there's nothing, there's no sexual violence, but there is like physical violence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Between men mostly. Yeah. (laughs) Always between men. Blue is pretty safe in this book. Yeah. Even though you don't think so, because in the prologue it's introduced, you're introduced to blue and she lives in this house with a bunch of, of women her mom her a couple of aunts some of her mom's friends and all of them are psychic you are just immediately introduced to the idea that if blue kisses her true love he will die so it's like okay well that's kind of a crazy prophecy to have to be living under just kind of like a reverse snow white yeah exactly exactly so her family is really mystical and so she is kind of like growing up around people who are selling their psychic abilities like through tarot readings or just general other things and so it says that kind of by the time she's like 15 because she's always known this prophecy about herself she's trying to sort of dismiss it and so she starts seeing the tarot cards as more of just like playing cards they don't have any influence over her life that her all of her the dreams and premonitions of her mom and her mom's friends are more about them just being like wacky ladies than actual (laughs) scary stuff and then by the time she's 16 she decides that she's just never gonna fall in love problem solved yeah exactly And in the prologue, we're also introduced to the fact that her aunt, Neve, N-E-E-V-E, which is cool, but also hard to figure out. There's a lot of names that are hard to say in this. That her aunt Neve returned to their small town and she's living at their house too. And she kind of makes the distinction that Neve is like a really famous psychic that other people outside of their community would have heard of. And she's made all of her money through what like Mara, who's Blue's mom, wasn't really willing to put out there as much. Oh, yeah. And then the other thing is that Neve tells her that this is going to be the year she falls in love. So she's like, I'm not falling in love. You know, (laughs) bad news for you. I'm not going to fulfill this prophecy, whatever. We move forward and there's this event every year, St. Mark's Eve, where the like veil is basically the thinnest in this one area of their town. It's like a churchyard. And if they go to the churchyard, they can experience the souls of the people who will pass that year. And Blue's psychic ability is that she amplifies other people's abilities. And so she can't 
do anything really psychic on her own, but other people are better at what they're doing if she's around. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that she doesn't have like the gift, but she helps other people with their gift. Yeah, which is kind of like what she's doing in this too, because it's not just the psychic people who are, are benefiting from her presence. Like you'll see later that the boys who are on this quest also get better at this quest when she's there. Yeah. So I think that she generally, I mean, not to make her too manic pixie dream girl, but this is a young adult novel. So I think there's always going to be part of that. She does have a personality and interest and stuff, but in the function for the function in the book, she sort of is a helper of like having things amplified. So they go to this church, this isolated church um, that's like in the middle of nowhere. It's super densely wooded. It's like a ruin, Mm -hmm. not like just a regular church in the middle of town or whatever. Blue is like sitting there and her aunt is seeing all these people, but she's not experiencing any of it. And then a guy, like a ghostly guy and a uniform that she recognizes as being like the private all boys school in her town approaches her. This is the school is named, we think, Aglianby, Aglianby. I'm going to say Aglianby. <laughs> Aglianby sounds, like a, yeah. Yeah, I think that flows better, right? (laughs) And they do this every year. Like, on St. Mark's Eve, they do this, like, because all the dead come to the city to kind of be counted for, like, their souls beforehand. So they kind of know who dies throughout the year. So this is something that they've done every year. So Blue has never, ever seen anyone. So this is, like, a very, like, a big phenomenon for her. Yeah. She's never experienced seeing the people. Yeah. She's only been there to help other people see the people. Her aunt says, so she hears the guy's name. His name is Gainsey. And she knows that he goes to the school. And when she tells her aunt, her aunt is like, oh, that means that either you kill him or you fall in love with him. <laughs> and she's like, well, I am never falling in love. And I'm especially never falling in love with one of these Agli and B kids because they're total dicks. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Basically. She's like, no, these guys are assholes. There's They're no like the way. They're like Slytherins. They're like all school of all Slytherins, like pretty much. <laughs> you are a Slytherin. I know, but I'm just saying we're kind of assholes sometimes. Yeah, that's so, true. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's definitely not a school of Hufflepuffs. It's How about definitely that? not Hufflepuffs. <laughs> Maybe some like naughty Gryffindors there in there or something, but yeah. There. Yeah, exactly. Some really, really like hard ass Gryffindors, but mostly Slytherins. She kind of has this moment of being like, okay, who is this guy? And like, she is interested, but also she knows that she's never going to fall in love. And also that all of it might be total bullshit anyway, but no matter what, she's never going to date somebody from Algie and Algenby. Nope. Aglenby. (laughs) Just the the a-hole school. How about that? Just the a-hole school. (laughs) A-school. From a-school. That's like so big and I love it. (laughs) Then we cut to... Gainsey and obviously they don't know each other yet no. but he's like pulled over on the side of the road and a broken down old kind of like beat up car because that's sort of his thing is this really bright orange Impala is it an Impala you'd probably remember this better than I do no uh, no because because I was like why are we talking about a car I don't care about a car oh yeah where's the story that's anyway <laughs> so but he's saying like as people are driving by like everybody likes to see an a school boy humiliated like there's no way I'm getting any help this is the way that they kind of introduce all of his friends and this is why it's so hard to get through that second chapter because it's like name after name after name after name of people coming in and trying to help him with his car. There's like six different people that come and I'm like, who are these people? And so he has three friends who come to help him, Adam, Ronan, and Noah. 
Does Noah come in this section? I don't think we meet Noah until Noah's, later. No, Noah doesn't show up yet. Maybe that's why I was like later, like what the hell? Yeah, Where yeah. Is he, this guy kind of <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so yeah, you're right. It's just Ronan and Adam. And Ronan is kind of like a tattooed bad boy, like dark hair, snarl on his face. <laughs> and Adam is sweeter, but also somehow more capable of like fixing the issue with the car. Yeah. Like he doesn't look like as much of a bad boy, but it comes really natural, naturally to him to like fill the gas tank up with gas. And the implication is that he's more working class. And I think that that's even like kind of explicitly yeah. stated yeah. in that chapter. They are talking to him while they're fixing this gas problem about like, well, did you find anything, any luck this time? Like that sort of thing. And so it's set up that they're on this quest. I think Gansey hears the recording or something because he had the tape set up. Um, He had also been, do they mention that he had been in the churchyard for this? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had been in the churchyard area or something, but it wasn't like he didn't see Neve or Mara or Blue. Yeah. He didn't see any of yeah, them, but so- he was like in the, I think he like maybe set the recording there and left maybe. I don't know. I think he was just like in a different section or okay, something. Maybe but yeah, that, yeah, okay, there you go. He sat outside the monstrously modern Church of the Holy Redeemer record with so he was then outside of a church listening to his recording and he hears his own name, but it's not his voice. So like when when Blue hears his name, it's his voice, but when he hears his name, it ends up being Blue's voice. But like we don't know yeah, that yeah, at yeah. that point. It's just some woman's voice saying his name. He decides that he needs to go talk to a psychic. And dun 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 and dun 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 it's Mara, yeah. who's Blue's mom. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> so it goes back to Blue and her family. They're all sitting around the kitchen table. And Neve, who's like the really showy psychic, is meditating on who Gainsey might be. Because this is kind of like an issue. They're like, well, do I... Because Blue's like, do I kill him? Like, how do I kill this kid? I don't even know him. What the heck is going on? And Neve has the ability to tell when, like, how somebody is going to die. And she says that it's super weird because Gainsey just disappears. Like, nothing happens. He just is there one second and then not there the next second. Mara reminds her, like, don't kiss him. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, if you like, meet don't him, kiss. don't kiss him. Because we don't know how... It, you know, your true love that you kiss will die. Yeah. Like, it's a mystery. He could just disappear. <laughs> <laughs> the kiss of life. Or the kiss of literal disappearance. <laughs> Disappear. Like, how terrifying would that be if you're like, oh my god, first of all, I don't know who my true love is, and then second of all, if I kiss him, he could just literally disappear in front the of my eyes. The question is, if she kissed, like, like a different person would he die that's not her true love well and that kind of comes up later because she's like with another with another character she's like am i willing to risk kissing him because if i do i could find out that he's not actually my true love which would be better than finding out he is (laughs) my my true true love love and i kill him maybe you should just like (laughs) just marry someone you hate like that'd be like the best like hate romance novel It's like, I'm going to kill anybody That's else. True. I'm not going to kill you. Yeah, sorry. No, because you know if it were a romance novel, they would end up falling in love and then, and then he, would, he die. would die. Exactly. Like a retroactive death kiss of death. Yeah, exactly. Like at first it wasn't because they didn't love each other and then they grow to love each other and then she kills yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Somebody, I'm sure that that already exists. I'm 100% sure that already exists. If not, someone will write it. We'll write yeah, it. exactly. So anyway, like we kind of alluded to, these beginning chapters are super long. And so yes. that's why this is taking so much time. Yes. But then we go back to Gamesy and he's in this like like industrial apartment with soaring ceilings. And it seems to be just these teenagers living there. Gamesy owns it. <laughs> and course. everyone's kind of, yeah, exactly. And Adam, who's the like working class friend, is kind of saying, is like, 
it's sort of his perspective being like Gainsey is just seems like an old man, like a established man in a teenager's body. Like he holds himself really maturely. He owns this building that he like has people living in and not people like they're friends, I guess. That's when we're introduced to Noah, their other friend who lives with Gainsey in their, in his apartment. And they go into information about this quest that they're on because Ronan, who's the other friend, the sort of badass friend, Ronan's brother and a girlfriend who's named girlfriend, girlfriend for like the whole the yeah. first part of the time you're like girlfriend <sighs> she's given a name her name is Ashley but yes for a while they just call her the girlfriend and I'm like oh my god I don't think I'm gonna be able to read this book <laughs> like I full-blown can't handle that that is such like a like an early 2000s thing to be acceptable like having an entire female character who's just like, called like literally girlfriend. it was like at least half the chapter and then you finally get her name and they only do it like twice and they just go back to girlfriend yeah <laughs> exactly ronan's brother shows up because he and ronan have this like really tense relationship after their father died and we won't go into that too much because i'm i'm assuming that it becomes like something that happens later yeah. like another book focuses more on their family and you kind of find out that ronan's brother is sort of avoiding him and they have this really shitty relationship but the girlfriend asks for clarification about what this quest that Gainsey and his friends are on. And Adam is like, okay, there's a mystical reason. And then there's a historical reason. And thankfully Gainsey says the historical reason, which is there's mythology and rumors about some old Kings coming to the new world instead of like dying in England or whatever. So this is a Welsh King that they're looking for who was kind of like standing up against the British and then he was killed. But this lore says that he actually came to Virginia, which is where they live. And that he's like, that he lived somewhere there. Is it Virginia? Yeah, I it's Virginia. It yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Virginia. Okay. So there's like all of this mythology or whatever. And so they're trying to find this uh, sleeping King and they link him in. So this guy is named Glendower and they link her in with, link him in with like King Arthur and other sort of like mythological figures. Yeah. Like he's that level of importance yeah but they also like he has like books of historical records everywhere so they have tangible proof that this is what happened but because it's not it's a myth it's a myth people are like and it's all just myth stuff so exactly exactly or the more sort of woo woo version that eventually sort of adam as like the point of view reveals to the reader is that the myth is that he's buried on a ley line, which if you have ever, you know, read or watched a Dan Brown book, ley lines are like these, or have like a background in mysticism. Uh, ley lines are these like energy centers that wrap around the globe where there are like portals and like really important sort of like mystical religious areas that lie along these ley lines. And so the idea is that the king is buried in the ley line, which keeps him sort of active in some way. And if you wake him up, then you like, basically he grants you a wish. (laughs) It's like a genie, a genie king. Like a genie. Exactly. (laughs) There's like this weird thing where Gainsey like has this idea that he can make his life more meaningful than just being this rich guy. If he finds the king and Adam, it's revealed that he has like more personal reasons for being on this quest. And I, I do have so... a question about this because it may come up later. Yeah, go for okay, it. Wait, wait, I almost forgot my question. Oh, does the king grant everyone a wish or like the person who found him? That is literally never clarified. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. Because that I... was my thing. I was like, oh, so they're going to all start murdering yeah, each exactly. other. Yeah, exactly. I was like, it's going like... to be like a Hunger <laughs> Game situation where they find the king, yeah, exactly. you know, like coffin and they're like murdering each other to get it open. I kept thinking that too. And every time they'd get a 
step closer, I was like, okay, so when is somebody going to like backstab the rest of them? But <laughs> that doesn't happen. Okay, okay, okay. So Sorry, I good. wasn't sure if that was clarified or not. So, okay. No, that's such a good question. That's such a good question. Sorry. So yeah, there's like kind of this mystical reason that they want to access it, this ley line reason. And so he's doing all this research with his friends to try to find this mystical king. Then we switch to the next chapter and another character <laughs> and was, is introduced. Okay, and this, so is where dear you, readers, this is where you got this lost. Is where, I had read, read up to chapter five on the plane. I was like, okay, just bear through it. Just bear through it. And then I turned the page and I was like, no. Like, because... Who the hell is Barrington Welk? I don't care. <laughs> Why do we need another new character? Because so far we have like eleven characters at least, and I'm just yeah. and there's no like plot moving forward. You're just getting lots of details, yeah. and I'm just like, it's so <sighs> much exposition. There's so much like, and this is everyone's motivation and all their past trauma and blah 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 blah. And then you get to this part, and you're like, now I have to give a shit about the Latin teacher? Are you kidding me? <laughs> It gets better, I promise. It does get better, but just, just like prepare it thyself. Does. It becomes really great, like just after this chapter. But my in my note in that section says, "Are you kidding me? Another new character." <laughs> <laughs> Barrington Welk is their Latin teacher at their A school, and he fucking hates all of his students because he used to be one of them. He used to be rich. He used to have all this like charm and charisma. And it all came crumbling down when his dad like lost all their money and like went under trial for some sort of financial fraud or whatever. And he was like kicked out of the school and all of that stuff, which I have to say as somebody who went to a private school for high school, if that happened to a student in the middle of the year, the school, my school would have found a way to keep them around for the rest of the year, even if it meant, you know, sort of eating the cost. Oh yeah. Because it's not a cruelty thing. So he has yes. this whole chip on his shoulder, but also works there. And he's not that much older. He's like 25. So he's like seven years older <laughs> than these students. I was, I was expecting him to be like, you know, like in his 50s. But no. I know. <laughs> he totally hates them. And it turns out that he is also looking for, or he had been, I guess, before he got expelled from Algenby, Aglenby, he had been looking for Glendower too. And his roommate, who's only identified by his last name, which is Zerny, dies in this quest. And then he gets kicked out of school. And so that's kind of like part of his trauma is that he's like, my friend died, my dad lost everything, I got kicked out of school, these people are assholes, blah, 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 blah. All right, so now we're through every single character introduction that only took half an hour. <laughs> Welcome to my life, everyone. <laughs> exactly. And so that took that took so long to get through just reading because you're like, oh my God, these are so, so many people. Then we kind of get into the plot. And so Blue is working at her waitress job and all of these guys kind of come into the restaurant, which is sort of known for being a place that these kids from the school hang out. And they're like being sort of normal teenage boys. They're not being rowdy at all, but they do this weird thing where Gainsey goes up to Blue and says, my friend Adam thinks you're really cute. Are you interested in dating him? And she's like, no, not really. And he's like, well, what if, because I'm working. And he's like, well, what if I pay you like the money that you'd be earning from your shift. And she's like, are you calling me a fucking prostitute? Which is like such a great moment yes. because he <laughs> is such a doofus, this rich doofus that it takes him like a couple minutes to realize the implications of what he had said mm-hmm. and like understand where she was coming from. So she says no, but she kind of talks to Adam a little bit and she thinks he's really handsome, great or whatever. And so she kind of decides that she'll talk to him for a little bit, but it's not because Gainsey suggested it. Yeah. They're kind of going through. She's like, maybe this could be the guy that I'm interested in. 
Gainesian, but who knows? Then it flips back to Gainesian and his friend's perspective, and they're talking about seeing the psychic who they decided to see in an earlier chapter and how they have it scheduled for the next day. And so as the reader, you know that they're going to run into each other again because he's going to be at her house the next day, but they don't know each other. And she also doesn't know his name. Like that hasn't come up yet. Then a bunch of stuff happens. The boys end up leaving, but there's a fight in the parking lot between Ronan and his brother that they don't get along with. And Gainsey's book with all of his information about all of his research gets left on the table (gasps) at the restaurant. (gasps) I know. Dun, dun, dun. And they're kind of talking about how they talk a lot in the, in these scenes about like more of the ley line lore, how like it's an electric, uh, like sort of an electricity thing. And you can use basically EMFs, like those meters that ghost hunters use to sense where the ley line is, which does become important because they're searching for it and they use that a lot. And when blue is with them, the signals are stronger. So it's easier to track. They think that Ashley, the girlfriend, might be spying on them. And that's why Ronan's brother showed up at this restaurant. That ends up being a total red herring. She has nothing to do with it. (laughs) Sadly. I mean, you were very disappointed with that. I know. I was like, oh, great. We got more of that. So Blue's boss asks her if she knew those boys and like, will she take that book? And she's like, yeah, totally. She starts going through it. She sees all of this research, including some symbols that are written in margins that are symbols that she's seen a bunch in her life. Like her mom has it on like something in their house. And then I think Neve has it tattooed on her or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. There's all of these like connections with some of these symbols. And she's like, what the hell? But she figures out, oh, it was also drawn in the churchyard dust and her mom sort of like without thinking about it draws it on like steamed mirrors and stuff and so it's something that she's really familiar with so she has the book and then it's the day where they go to the psychic but Gainsey is woken up by a phone call from this like elderly British man who he's a research associate with. Like they work together on finding Glendower and Mallory call his name is Mallory and he calls him and they talk about how he was the first person to take the 15 year old Gainsey seriously, which is really meaningful to Gainsey because he's always just seen as this rich kid. And then there's this academic who really thinks that he knows what he's doing. It's kind of like sweet that he has this mentor almost. Yeah. Um, When he gets off the phone with Mallory, he realizes that Ronan is gone and, he because he like lives with him he's like where the hell's Ronan he just got into a fight with his brother the night before where did he go and so he tracks him down to this church that's kind of like near their house and he's just laying face down on a pew like being a total weirdo and at first Gainsey's like oh my god he's dead but it turns out that he's just holding a little raven in his hands like a baby raven that he's adopted (laughs) okay and named Chainsaw the name of the bird is Chainsaw Which is super great. Like a couple of more little random things that are sprinkled in there is that the teacher's friend was killed in the search for the ley lines, which we already alluded to. Blue is like figuring out that this is, you know, that kid's journal and all of his, all of her aunts and stuff are like, oh, he's on a quest, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Gainsey tries to pick Adam up from school and he's missing. They all speak Latin. And so there's a lot of that stuff happening. Adam never went to school and the Latin teacher, Welk, is being super weird. And so that kind of triggers something in you that you're like, okay, this guy could be the actual bad guy instead of yeah. Ashley, dun, dun, this like, poor girlfriend who just had to use the bathroom. <laughs> exactly. Some foreshadowing. Then we get to the psychic thing. And right before Gainsey and his friends get there, another man shows up at the psychic house and 
Neve is super weird and oh he gets a reading a tarot reading where the three of swords shows up the five of pentacles shows up and the knight of pentacles shows up and they're saying like you lost somebody while you were on a quest basically so like money so it seems like money is his concern Mm -hmm. he lost some the three they interpret the three of swords as him having lost some somebody the five of pentacles and money being his main concern yeah well which makes sense because it's not ever said but this is very obviously the teacher yeah yeah yeah. so he's still on this quest money was his main concern and he suffered from this huge loss and that would make sense because he's so mad Mm -hmm. about his dad losing his money and his friend dying and all of this stuff so i thought that those were actually pretty good interpretations of those cards and they do a really fun thing that's totally like what we do on this podcast where it's like multiple people sitting around each pulling a card and then interpreting it together yeah and i was like hey Hey. we do that that's how we started this thing and we didn't people sitting in a row it was like our own organic (laughs) idea but we supported by the people hey (laughs) exactly and so they call it like a team reading or something which i really liked so they never say that it's the teacher but it obviously is and she okay and then he pulls two more cards and it's the tower and the page of cups and Blue, her okay. entire life has been represented by the Page of Cups. Like, her, every time the Page of Cups oh, comes right, up yeah. for her mom, her mom is like, that's you, Blue. And so because the Tower and the Page of Cups show up, Mara, her mom is like, get the fuck out of my house and just Ooh. kicks this guy out. Doesn't let him pay. Like, you get out of here right now because she's suddenly having this, like, oh, my God, what's going to happen to Blue yeah. sort of feeling realization. Yeah. And so we still don't know who this guy is. But then almost immediately after, Gainsey shows up and she realizes that that's who it is. And she's like, oh, I think I'm going to either fall in love with you or whatever. And yeah. And so because the family has these psychic abilities and they saw the book and they know Neve's premonition that she's going to fall in love this year. Mara's like, we will read one card for you and then you're leaving. <laughs> Which I love this like like hard ass mom character. Yes. She's like, she is like a flowy skirt dancing in the moonlight mom who also is like, no, no. I am not having any of these shenanigans. <laughs> Get the hell out. Like, so she, and he says, you know what? It doesn't really matter because I'm really here more for information rather than a tarot card reading. But Ronan's super skeptical. And so she pulls one card for Ronan. No, for Adam. Sorry to start and Adam gets the two of swords. And so that puts more into place that Adam is kind of like being at, pulled between two worlds, mm-hmm. like the working class world and the Agli and B world. And so that's kind of what the two of swords represents. And Ronan is like, what the fuck? That could mean anything. People are always trying to decide between two things. And so I really liked that, that they used the two of swords was also really appropriately used. And then one of the other friends pulls another card for Ronan and it's basically, and then also uses her psychic ability and was like, you know something about your father's death that no one else knows. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Which is also something that's not really brought up in this book. So it must be in a future portion of this series. Yeah. <laughs> but it freaks him out and he's like, I don't need any of this like youngian bullshit. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like he's just a total baby. So he leaves also. And then it's just Adam and Gainsey and Blue and the ants and they pull the page of pentacles all three women pull the page of pentacles or no the page of cups sorry okay for so it's like repeated over and over again and then they pull a clarifying card because every single person pulled that card and they get the death card oh so because it's gainsy pulling it it's like is she gonna it goes back to the same thing is she gonna kill him is she gonna die because previously 
her signifier card had come up with the tower. Who is this impacting and what does it all mean? And so Mara gets kind of freaked out. And he, and actually I really love this because Adam, who, who I just think is the most adorable character was like, wait a second. I thought that death was purely symbolic. Like he (laughs) totally knows. He's like, why are we all getting freaked out about this? Death is purely symbolic. Like, what do you mean? And Gainsey's kind of like, you know what? It doesn't really matter. What I really want to hear is just about the ley lines. Do you have any more information about that? And it like kind of is revealed that the corpse road, which is where they were that first night when they met Gainsey, like Gainsey's spirit is the ley line. So it runs through that church. Mm. And that's where all those spirits are walking is along the ley line. And then those guys all leave because one of them says the best case scenario here is that you make friends with a boy who's about to die. Like that's the best case scenario. (laughs) And then Mara's like, I've never told you what to do ever, but stay away from these boys, which is just like such a great young adult. Typical like thing because it's like, of course, like, no, there's no way I'm going to stay away. So they start kind of going through all these things where Re or Neve, sorry, the aunt clearly is sort of channeling some darker stuff and she's kind of not really sure what to do about that, but she sort of keeps it to herself. She tells one of her aunts, like, I don't know what Neve is here for, but I think that it's something a little bit more nefarious. And so they make a plan that they're going to look through her stuff the next chance they get so that they can see sort of what she's really there for. They don't think that it's just like to help Neve's or to help Blue's mom find her ex-husband, which is kind of like what mm-hmm. her cover story is. Gainsey, like Gainsey's sister is introduced, which actually is not as frustrating as you may think it is because she's a helicopter pilot who's taking them on a helicopter ride to follow the ley line. And so they go up in the air and it's like really funny because she's like, I've never, Blue's like, I've never been on a plane before. Like, what the hell? You just like have a helicopter at your disposal. This is so unrelatable. Like, it's just bizarre. (laughs) And they start following the ley line based on kind of like mathematical formulas that Gainsey had created. And also knowing that the corpse road through that church that they were at is the ley line. So then they can kind of extrapolate where it goes from there. And while they're up in the helicopter, they see a giant raven sort of relief built into the ground. Kind of like, um, I just am like speeding forward. So I lost it. Yeah. So in between, they had done a bunch of things together and Blue had kind of been lying to her mom. Like, oh, I'm just, you know, hanging out with friends. Like, no big deal. So they like have been spending a lot of time together. And it comes out that Gainsey is like super allergic to bees. And so at one point, Ronan sees him kind of like staring at a bee that's in his bedroom. And that's kind of like a indicator that Gainsey is sort of starting to give up hope. And he just thinks that like death might be the easier option. Like he's so incredibly allergic to bees, which was interesting. So death might be the easier option. Then, Well, then failing at his quest. Like Like, he feels like he's failing at this quest. And then the helicopter stuff happens. And they see this relief of the crow, kind of like like Neolithic artwork that you're like, that ancient alien theorists would be like, see, that's proof that there were aliens because no Neolithic person would know to create this relief over the course of miles and miles and miles. And it's always like slightly tinged with racism, like all ancient alien theorists, but like controversial (laughs) opinion over here. But anyway, so... um, (laughs) So they land. So the the Gainsey's like, we need to. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> I'm so involved in this book. My dog just came and licked my arm, and it fully made me jump. <laughs> I thought someone was murdering. I know. Molly. I thought someone was <laughs> murdering me too. 
god that was so scary <laughs> oh jesus shit oh my gosh oh my god i'm so sorry about that it's okay it's okay i've never been so startled in my life that was totally alarming. Your your face went so white there for like five seconds. And now I'm sweating. <laughs> now you're red. Now you're Oh my red. God. That is so. so terrifying. She just like came right up to me and I was like, fuck. Okay. So like no hesitation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God, Mac. Get it together. She's She's been sleeping for like the whole morning. Normally she wakes up with me, but not this time. His sister's like, that's private property. I can't land there. And he's like, it'll just be for like oh, of course. 30 seconds. Like, it's a sister, yeah, exactly. My sister yeah, lame. my sister's so <laughs> lame with all of her law following. She's like, I could lose my pilot's license. How can you do this to me? And they're like, it'll just be 30 seconds. It'll just be for 30 seconds. And so she agrees to it. They land and they start walking and they're like in this magical meadow. Like all of a sudden there's like butterflies and the sun seems brighter and there's like a babbling brook and they start following the brook. And it takes them into the forest. There's like a tree in there where if you like, you know, when they have like a tree that's been hit by lightning and there's like a big gap in the center and you can walk into it Mm -hmm. with redwoods. When I grew where I grew up, my dad would always call them fairy houses because they seem really magical. The Redwoods are still alive. Like the trees are still alive, but they just have this big burnt out section in the base, which is really cool. You can stand in it or whatever. And when they stand in it, each of them sees a different premonition of the future. Adam Ooh. sees himself killing Albion or uh, not Albion Gainsey blue sees herself killing Gainsey. Like everyone is kind of seeing variations on them being responsible <laughs> for his death, but nobody's sharing that information with each other. So they're all totally freaked out. But at the same time, while they're in this ma- while they're in this forest, it seems like they've really gotten to a place where like they have a fucking idea of what's going on. Like they think like this is where yeah. he is. We just don't know how to find him. And then they exit the forest and they're like, God, we've been gone for like 45 minutes. She's going to be so pissed. And it's only been six minutes. And so that tells you that like there's Whoa. like a time issue. Yeah. Like when they're on the ley line time becomes a little bit more meaningless and doesn't have as linear of a format, um, which becomes really important later. So in the second trip to the forest, they drive. So it takes way longer. And when they get there, they find a like burnt out car. It's like super weird. They're like, this has been here for a million years, but there's no frame of reference of how long it's actually been there. Because as we know, the time works super, super differently there. Um, hold on one second where I'm like highlighted joke for Esther. This was probably back in a previous chapter, but anyway, there's a joke that made me think of Esther that I thought that Esther would really appreciate where they're sitting around talking. Ronan's like, Oh, where did you see Gamesy? Because they're talking about seeing him on the corpse road. And blue says, Oh, well I was sitting outside with one of my half aunts. And Ronan says, it says this seemed to satisfy Roman as well because he asked, where's the other half of her? And then Adam goes, God, Ronan, enough. (laughs) I was sitting outside with one of my half aunts. Like, where was the other half of her? Like, I like that Ronan's reaction of, like, approval is just making such a bad joke. That's totally me joke. Yes, that's a a very me joke. It was just so perfect. Let's go back to where we are. And the forest is called Cabe's 
Cabe's oh, water? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cobb's water? Cobb's water, Cabe's yeah. water, whatever. Okay, so then for the next three days, they keep doing more of it, and Noah comes with them sometimes. He's, like, the one that lives with, that lives with Gamesy, but he's a little bit more reticent. Like, he's not super present, but he really, really loves Blue. Like, he he's good at stabilizing people. He seems to really reflect everyone's mood, and so people, when he's around, they tend to be a little bit more calm. They go back to... Cobb's water and that this time they go by Camaro so it takes a lot longer and Adam is kind of saying that he now Adam sort of believes in magic after that previous experience they start following the the stream that they followed the last time but all of a sudden the weather starts changing around them and they realize that they're kind of walking through several seasons so like through over the course of an hour all of a sudden the creek dries up then it's snowy and then it's like back to spring and it's totally crazy. And then they get to this rock and there's something written on the rock in Latin that says the trees speak Latin. And Ronan is like the Latin expert. And I think that that's like a large part of his role in this book is just being the guy who totally mm-hmm. understands Latin and can like speak it conversationally. And so they start communicating with the trees um, and the trees start talking back in Latin. They tell the the group that if they wake up the ley line, that the trees will be in their debt. And it's like, what? Like, why does everyone want them to do this? And then that's when they see the red must the red Mustang. It's like a newer model, but it's covered in mud and like layers and layers of pollen and all sorts of things from years and years and years. Um, but in the back of it is a dowsing rod, which is what Gamesy had been using to follow the ley line. So that makes him realize that there's like something weird going on with time and also that somebody else was looking for the ley lines as well and got super fucking close so it wasn't just like other people were also looking it was like other people got very very close to finding it and then they go back to the church this is like kind of later it's daylight they're walking around and they find uh they talk more about like mortality because of the whole allergic to bees thing and then they find a human arm (laughs) and they find (laughs) this whole skeleton and they're like looking at the skeleton skeleton it has a wallet on it and in the wallet is an id it's a a picture and it's noah's id so noah this character that's like only there sometimes and kind of a little bit like they call him smudged a lot like he looks sort of like smudged or dirty it's because he has Mm -hmm. been actually a skeleton near on a ley line this entire time and it's important that he was buried on a ley line because that's what's kept his spirit around because the ley lines have this mystical power and then they say we found your they go back home and Gainsey's like look we we found his id his name was noah cherney oh cherney or no yeah, which is the same last name. I just Cersei? I just can't figure yeah. out how to pronounce it because it says Cherney on like the pronunciation guide that they just give now, but I called him oh. Cerny earlier. But anyway, it's Cherney. And so we as the reader <laughs> realize that that is the Latin teacher's dead roommate, that their friend Noah, who's been with them this whole time or most of the time, is the Latin teacher's dead roommate's ghost. Question from the, from the audience. Unknown. <laughs> with Noah... Does he know, like, how he died? And if so, has he tried to communicate with that? Like, he's told a couple times in the book already, he's, like, Joked. told Blue, like, I'm a ghost. Yeah, you know, I'm like, dead. I'm, a ghost. Oh, I'm already dead. I'm dead, yeah, exactly. But does he, like, know how he no. died or just that he's dead? Just that he's dead. There's, like, no history. He, okay, He okay. knows that he died, He, but he doesn't know how he died. And he's kind of, like, a very present 
person. Like, he's not a ghost. Okay. Like, he's not, like, really thinking about the backstory as much. But the reason that okay. he's, like, faded out of their lives is because the bones got moved because they called the cops and the cops took the bones. Right. And so now his bones right. aren't on the ley line anymore, so he's really weakened. But Blue can still hear him because they had kind of a connection oh. where they, like, really liked each other a lot. They were really close. And so she still can sense him, even though, like, more in what you would think, like, a, like a normal person would experience ghost activity with. Like, just hints yeah. and, like, whispers in the ear and stuff. And it's so crazy because they all kind of realize, like, he never paid rent. Like, they sort of, they, mm-hmm. like, all kind of are under this collective delusion. And then when they wake up from it, they're like, we don't remember him moving in. He doesn't pay rent. He doesn't eat. Like all of these things. Like yeah. These... I mean, we picked it up the first yeah, chapter. Yeah, like, we definitely we said, no, we, we both Holly and I were just like, wait, I think he's I a think ghost. he's a ghost. Like he's yeah, got to be a ghost. I, in my notes about who everyone was, I wrote, I think he's dead. Yeah. But anyway, so they all get really freaked out, and they're like, shit. Like we we've been being haunted this whole time. But they also really like Noah, so they're not super worried about it. But they immediately realize that the reason that he's no longer around is because his bones have been moved. Blah, 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 blah. A whole bunch of stuff happens. Gainsey goes home. It turns out that Gainsey's like purely responsible for keeping Ronan in school because Ronan doesn't give a shit and he's almost kicked out all the time. And so the police are like looking for his killer. Nobody really knows what's going on. There's all this interpersonal stuff because Gainsey's all mad that Ronan is not attending school. And then there's all this interpersonal stuff. Gainsey ends up going home on his way back. He gets a flat tire and he's off on the side of the road. And the teacher is the one who stumbles across him. And the teacher, uh, Welk, has a gun and he starts threatening Gainsey. And he's like, I have to kill you because I was safe for so long. And now there are police like swarming the school looking for who killed Noah and blah, 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 blah. And so okay, he... I, have a, I have question number two. Yeah. So why didn't Welk go back to Cabe's water? Because... Because he doesn't really like... Know where it is? No. Because he killed Noah there. I think it's because like, he knows... The so there's area. like part of the thing is that Noah died in a ritual to open the ley line. And so he okay. thinks that somebody has to die to open the ley line. And so he doesn't oh. still have it. Like he feels a lot of immense guilt. So about he just thinks Noah. it's disappeared. Yeah. Okay. Well, he okay, no, he doesn't okay. think that Noah disappeared. He thinks that like he feels intense guilt about that, about killing okay. him accidentally. But he doesn't really know why he died, and so he like basically can't. He needs somebody else to open it, but he wants to be there for it because he doesn't want to be responsible for another person's death. Basically. Okay. So he just misunderstands how the ley line works. Yeah, exactly. But he also okay, wants to okay. kill Gainsey because now he's he feels like he's being Gainsey investigated for the... murder it's yeah, more about okay. the murder stuff than about like Gainsey being close to the ley line like to, he to ley line okay he wants to prevent it like Gainsey's information about Noah from like being so he hasn't connected the, the dots right yet yeah about Gainsey and Glenwater exactly Glenn, whatever I mean he okay. know he knows that that's where they were and he knows that he's close but he that's also kind of is why, like but yeah he's also like you know like somebody has to Murderers die and fine. blah 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 yeah. And so he starts threatening okay. him with him with a gun and then they get into kind of a scuffle and the gun gets lost. And so Gainsey now knows that Welk killed Noah and Welk is kind of like on the run because he just threatened one of his current students' lives with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> And he's also being investigated for murder. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So then finally, Blue has a chance to go up to Neve's room in their house because she's out of the house. And they find all of this like kind of 
magical stuff that indicates that Neve is also looking for the ley line, but she's working with somebody. Like they find a note from somebody being like, you know, like you need to help me with this or whatever. And they realize, or maybe we just realize, but it comes out that it's Welk that hired her and that like they have been communicating through all of this. So it's sort of like, it's coming from inside the house drama, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but like that kind of becomes this connection. But Neve is like completely, completely adamant that she had, that she had not been working with Welk. And that as soon as she got to Henrietta, she said like, no, I'm not helping you. Blah, 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 blah that kind of becomes a whole thing. And this is when I started reading so fast because I was like, so into the plot. It just moves so quickly. Welk talks about how he should have just abducted Gainsey, but since he had just come across him in the car, he didn't have the time to like plan an abduction, but that would have been the Mm -hmm. best case scenario because then (laughs) they could have brought him to the ley line and Gainsey could have been sacrificed to open it. And then there's this whole other thing where Adam, who's the poor one, his dad is super abusive towards him and his mom And while they're kind of all going through this, Adam is like, I can handle it. I can handle it. And then Adam's dad finds a pay stub and finds out that the school that he's been attending has been really expensive and he's been making more money that he wasn't giving back to his dad. And so his dad is beating the crap out of him and Ronan shows up and then subsequently beats the crap out of the dad. And that puts Adam in this position because the cops get called where he has to either tell the cops that his dad is abusive or mm-hmm. lose and lose his dad and his mom and never see them again. And that's like a really hard decision for him because he has somewhere to go. He can go live with Gamesy, but he has this whole pride thing of like, I can't let Gamesy take care of me. I need to be a man in my own right. Blah, 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 all of that stuff. But he ends up deciding like, I can't let my dad still do this because eventually he'll kill me. Um, and so there's a lot of sort of life or death things that are happening in that section, but Adam ends up being safe and, kind of like feeling like he has something to live for because he's out of his dad's grasp. And it's just so sweet. So Neve, because she's been kind of like accused, not accused, but everyone thinks that she was working with Welk. She decides that she's going to sacrifice Welk to open the ley line because he's a murderer and an asshole. And he tried to kill Gamesy and like all of these reasons. So she meets him, meets up with him, tases him, puts him in the back of her car And the problem is that she didn't tie him tightly enough. And so he's like sitting there stewing because she's like eating hummus and being a like crazy bitch or whatever. And so he ends up knocking her out. And then she kind of like wakes up with all of the ritual equipment she brought to sacrifice him surrounding her. And she's all of a sudden in the sacrificial position. And so all of the, yeah, exactly. Totally scary. So all of the guys were going to (laughs) guys in blue. were going to meet her in order to like participate in the ley line opening. And they have Adam's dad's gun. And then there's like all of this other kind of going back and forth with blue's mom. That doesn't really matter. Okay. So they go back into the tree. They see all of them, see more visions Everyone is all of a sudden not seeing visions of Gainsey dying. And so they're all feeling really, really relieved. But Neve is still in this like pentagram on the ground, which is like, okay, fine, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Typical witchy thing. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of annoying because it's like, that's not an evil symbol. But I guess if you were creating, if you were doing any ritual, you would do that too. So but whatever. You shouldn't immediately be scared yeah. of pentagrams when you see them. So when everyone's up there, Neve sort of disappears and um, Adam decides decides that he'll sacrifice himself because they can't sacrifice Welk because he's not like innocent blood or whatever. It has to be somebody who's not a murderer because that doesn't mean <laughs> as much to the ley lines, I guess. Like this is when stuff just gets kind of confusing because there's a ton. It's not confusing. 
I think it's intentionally confusing because there's all of this like wind whipping around and trees whispering and earth shaking stuff. And so Adam gets shot, but also doesn't get shot. And it actually says that mm. like Welk is, had not gone missing. Adam had also not been shot. And those like, it's just like confusing. And all of a sudden the trees all come alive. They're all speaking in Latin. Blue can understand that everyone can kind of understand what's going on. And then this like thundering herd of like mystical animals comes raging through this forest. So they've awoken the ley line. Like this is, it has awoken. There's all this crazy stuff. <laughs> and the crazy thing is that there's like two gamesies. There's all of this stuff happening. There's just all of this chaos. And when all of the dust settles, Welk is dead and it looks like he's been there for years like it was a trampling, like he was trampled to death by these mystical beings. Then the trees start telling Gainsey that they, like the king is over here. He's somewhere along this ley line, blah, 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 blah. And so they still don't find the king. It just is set up so that they can in a future book. Basically, they know where he okay. is. They know they're on the right path. Like it, there's not really a resolution to that quest, which makes sense because it's the beginning of a series. But... Their main antagonist is dead. All mm. of them are safe. And then, like, in the final chapter, it's really, really, really sweet. So, like, they're all safe. Everything's fine. The ley line has, like, been awoken. But none of them are have died, other than Noah, who was already dead. And their, their antagonist is dead. And everyone seems, like, pretty kind of like, all right, so now what's next? And then the last chapter is really, really sweet because... The police, like, blame Welk for the murder, and um, they notify Noah's family that they found his bones and they can bury him. And so they all show up to the funeral, but they're kind of, like, at a respectful distance until Noah starts whispering in Blue's ear, like, please go talk to my parents. Please go talk to my parents. And she's like, I can't do that. Are you kidding me? Like, they're going to think I'm insane if I go up to them and say, like, your son, blah, 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 blah. And so she, he's like, please, please just do this for me. And so she agrees to it. It's like a remote valley graveyard. Noah asks her to say, uh, Mr. Cherzy, he's sorry for drinking your birthday schnapps. And then everyone just bursts into tears. And it's kind of like Aww. weirdly sweet. But anyway, so the family all leaves and the kids are still around and they go back to that family plot and dig up his bones so that they can rebury them on the ley line. And the minute that they do, he like reappears in their life, like as their friend. So mm. it worked. Like they Aww. still get to have him around because they open the ley line, which makes him stronger. And they rebury yeah. his bones on the ley line so that they can keep having him around. It says like, no one will bother him here because it's in the old church along the corpse road. Like it's holy ground. We know it's on the ley line, blah, 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 blah. And he shows up and he says, can we go home? This place is so creepy. And it says, euphoric, they all spun. Noah, rumpled and familiar, was framed in the arched doorway of the church, more solid than Blue remembered ever seeing him. Solid in form, anyway. He peered around the crumbled walls with a, with a timorous expression, and then all of them hug him, and he's, like, totally present. So they can, like, touch him and feel Aww. him, and he's, like, really back. And he says, so part of the whole thing is that people keep trying to get him to eat. They're like, well, let's go get pizza. Let's go get pizza or whatever. And he's like, no, I don't want any of that. Eating makes me feel sick. <laughs> and he's, they're like, let's go. Like, come on, I'll, let's get you out of here. And he's like, and Gainsey's like, okay, yeah, we can go home. And Noah says, okay, but I'm still not eating pizza. And then he and <laughs> Blue are, like, linking arms and walking out and 
It's just so sweet. Oh. And then it comes out. And then like the very last, which this is like why it's so strange. Cause the very last sentence is that Ronan brought chainsaw out of his dreams. So I think that that's setting mm. up for the next book. Overall, it was way better than I could describe it because there's so much plot that happens at the end and like none of the beginning, but you have to know who these people are generally. So yes. it's yeah. like, it's chaotic and magical and beautiful and so well-written and so like exciting and stuff that it's just like, it was really well done, but it's just a lot. And it's also one of those books that you read and then you're like, how long was that? And you're like, oh. 450 pages. Okay, that pages. explains yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I was like 15% through the book or 20% through the book today, and I was just like, whoo, I feel like I've gotten through a lot. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's super long, but it's really, really good. I'm excited. Oh, and the next one is called The Dream Thieves, and also the cover oh, okay. is like an angsty teen, so I bet it is about Ronan. About Ronan. It must be about Ronan, yeah. But yeah, so it was really great, and I think that the tarot yeah. stuff was really, really well done. I really liked their interpretation of stuff together. I thought it was so... Yeah dramatic and perfect and we've experienced it together with the three of us when we were still holistic yes. terror agency of like multiple people pulling the same card for a question and that does yeah. totally give you chills and it was such a good yeah, dramatic like moment to be like everybody's pulling the page of cups for Gainsey and you're yeah. like what? Yeah. what what well and yeah. that's another thing is that it doesn't really I mean this is all over the course of just a couple of months but she doesn't kill anyone or kiss anyone or meet her true love like it's not even really clear if Gainsey's her true love or Adam is her true love because she's kind of dating mm-hmm. Adam throughout the whole book so I think yeah. all of that is probably resolved in like future installments oh definitely <sighs> good job yay I'll start there you did you, you carried us very well I don't know sorry, about sorry that sorry you had to carry us <laughs> But I think it kind of helps show the difference when an author actually like knows Taro more intimately than someone who uses just Taro as a plot device. Because I think that's the big difference between this book and the other book we reviewed. What was it? Mm-mm. Book of Speculation. Not- Thank you. I was about to clock the clock writer's daughter. I'm like, nope, no, nope, that's, that's what I just started. <laughs> okay. So yeah, the, with the book of speculation, I think that because they only understood like surfacey tarot stuff. Yeah. Tarot was just kind of a plot device to get to the story. It's well, deeper. and there's also kind of like a good tarot joke when they pull the death card and one of the guys is like, wait, I yeah. thought that was just symbolic. It's like, that's symbolic. something that a like tarot oh, reader would joke t- about. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So I think that that was very clever and like the meanings, like you can get kind of what the meanings were from with the, you know, the Knight of Pentacles and the yeah. Five of Pentacles, stuff like that. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting and a good use of tarot. Yeah. So and I plus also, in the tarot. Like using the Page of Cups to represent a specific person, like that's like we have talked about that between the, the two of us. Um, Like how we have certain cards that represent each other in readings. And that's like the Mm -hmm. peak, like Mara as the mom knows that every time the the page of cups shows up, it's something about her daughter. And that is how a lot of us read those court cards. Like this is a person in my life. Yeah. Especially when we're doing it for ourselves, not necessarily for anyone else. It's just... You know, they pop up like, oh, okay, there's Holly today. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So that's our show. Thank you for listening. If you like us, please tell some friends about us and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. If you have a Tara question or a life question that could be helped through Tara, email us at wildlytarapodcasts at gmail.com or message us on our Instagram at wildlytarapodcast. You can also follow us on Instagram for pictures of the decks we're using or join our Facebook community by searching Wildly Tarot Podcast on Facebook. Also, feel free to follow each of us on Instagram. I am at Celestial Esther and Holly is at Holly Enchanted. Go forth and tarot wildly this week. We love you, wildlings. We Bye-bye. Love you, wildlings. <laughs> <laughs>